Hello and welcome. Anyone who's been to Merchant City Yoga on a Sunday knows how much I love catching up with everyone over a cup of my freshly brewed spiced chai. These Sunday chai sessions really bring everyone together. A true celebration of friendship, community and connection. I want to try and capture some of that magic and share it with you at home. So I've invited some familiar faces from our MCY family to chat with me over a cuppa. I'm affectionately calling them the chai sessions. Pop the kettle on, get yourself comfy and come and join us. So Ranjana, I am delighted to welcome you on to a chai session. I actually have my little cuppa right here. Um, it might have cooled down a bit because we were blathering so much before we started there. Um, but just before we get to our conversation, I would like to very briefly introduce you just to, to everyone listening and watching who may not have met you yet. Um, so I'm very delighted to welcome Ranjana Bakvial to join me here on the Chai Sessions. Um, Ranjana is an artist and a lecturer um, living and working right here in Glasgow and we first met, now Ranjana tells me it was way back in 2016 um, when she first came to class here at Merchant City Yoga and she's been a regular face ever since and I've always really loved and appreciated the conversations, the the really rich and diverse conversations that we have every time she, she comes into the studio. So I'm really delighted that she has chosen to offer a very special course here at the studio as well. Um, so the course is called An Introduction to Self-Knowledge According to Advaita Vedanta. Um, and I thought it would be really nice to, to welcome you along, Ranjana, and, and have a bit of a chat, um, get to know you a little bit better, and have the opportunity just to, to have a little bit of a chat about Advaita Vedanta as well. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's always a pleasure, always. Um, so I thought we'd just start by talking a little bit about your first experiences of yoga. So what, what were your first experiences of yoga and how have you continued um, with yoga over the intervening years? Uh, it's it's an interesting question because if, if I think of the very first experience, we lived in New York when I was a child and we went to the local library and my father noticed a book that was called the Yoga Cookbook, the Yogi Cookbook. <laughs> was quite amused by it. Uh, and so we brought it home and we looked at the recipes and, and all that. But th I think that's probably where I first heard the word. But and we would have asked our dad, what does it mean? What, what is he and, and why he was sort of semi-amused by it? Because he was, and so he would have said that a, a yogi is someone who has renounced the world and is is practicing meditation and is uh, and sometimes does, you know, particular lives a particular way of life pretty much. And I don't remember hearing much about the the, the asanas or anything. Then you sort of fast forward and, and growing up with uh, hearing about Vedanta, which we'll talk about later right from that early age because my parents used to go to a place called the Vedanta Center um, 
So it was very, it's like growing up, it was parallel to uh, buying popsicles in the corner store, <laughs> oh, the candy store, not the corner store. But, you know, it's, it's, it's been part of my life always. So, yeah. but yoga itself, when I went to art school in England, fast forward many years, um, there was one of the lecturers, one of the printmaking lecturers ran lunchtime classes. So I'd always been interested, never had a, an opportunity to go to a class. And I went along to those and, and I was really interested in, in everything that it was, it could do. Uh, and it was very no frills. We just, we didn't have mats. You couldn't buy mats in those days. So on one of the hard studio floors, we just yeah. did a lunchtime yoga. Then everyone went to the canteen and ate lunch. But, and he didn't impose very much about it. But I remember one thing he said once. He said, I don't understand it. There's, you're, there's, you can do this, but there's something you're just not letting go. There's, there's, and it stayed with me all my life when I get stuck with things. And I think, okay, it's there. I just need to push it a little bit further. It's, it's So that's, that's a rambling introduction to how I first experienced it. Then I lived in India again for some time and, you know, was more, hearing about the philosophy and running around doing other things. When I came back to Britain and then eventually came to Glasgow, I was amazed at how many yoga classes there were. So I joined one and, and stayed with that. And when I came to you in 2016, I'd been doing it weekly for some time in other classes, Iyengar classes, which were very good. But I was working, uh, we were based in the Merchant City at that time. Um, it was art school, but our bit was in the Tontine building. Amazing. And I thought there must be a yoga class here near somewhere. And I discovered yeah. it. And, you know, so I had to change in my office and come to class. <laughs> yeah. And what role do you think yoga now plays in our lives, in our kind of health and well-being, in our outlook? From your point of view, what role does yoga play? Um, I, especially as I've got older, I've certainly seen the benefits to health and well-being. Uh, I think I shifted from doing it once a week and trying to persuade myself to do it another time during the week before the class to realizing I needed to save myself and just do this every day. When you know there's a point in my life where my health wasn't good and there was a lot of stress and. Uh, Doing it every day and seeing that difference and, and combining it with pranayam um, and other exercise too, I just really began to see something shift. So it definitely, that combination of physical movements, which are researched, obviously, over thousands of years, have such an understanding of the physical workings of the, of the body, um, very soon begin to have a very profound effect on the mind. And that's what's so fascinating also yeah is there maybe one experience or um one um yeah let's stick with the experience that you've had in your yoga practice that has maybe clarified or or brought something to light for you um I suppose I'm not your typical, well, I don't know what a typical yoga student is, but many, many people are drawn to it because they're quite, they like exercise, they like fitness. 
I have always evaded gyms as far as I possibly could. <laughs> if I could got away without doing sports in school, I would have so loved that. I've just been inclined to other things and I've not been very physical, but I think in that way, if there's any big shift in my understanding of myself, my physical self, it's you become very much more aware of the weights and balances in the body and how that, then you begin to see that it also changes the way you feel about things that are going on. Um, you know, stooping and all of those things, they are, it's its interconnected. You might be feeling bad, you start to stoop, you also, and, it, and vice versa, it doesn't allow you to lift your head too much. But it's been very interesting doing the Ashtanga classes because you point out when things, you know, the balance, a very slight shift in balance and you're suddenly able to get into a pose a bit better. Um, yeah. So I still find it a little too athletic for me, but but it's definitely helped. Uh, so that awareness, I guess, in terms of physicality. Um, other shifts which are to do with, with yoga as in a philosophy, as a way of living. I think it's about getting through the difficult moments and finding myself falling back to this idea that one of, the, one of the greatest things that I would love to preserve about, about what we call Hinduism in general and Indian philosophy um, is this idea of there's not good and evil, but there is knowledge and ignorance. And knowledge doesn't need, mean, mean just book learning. So if you're a young student and your lecturer is telling you that there is no culture outside of Europe, and this actually happened to me at 18 as a foreign student in Britain. Uh, it could be devastating. It could be, it could really throw you into a crisis because this person in authority is telling you this, or you have this notion that this person is profoundly ignorant and you know needs to be better informed or whatever. Um, or it gives you uh, a sense of. Hopefully you have enough sense of self as an individual and as a person belonging to a certain set of uh, upbringings or whatever that, that you are able to challenge. But being able to challenge someone is a very difficult thing. It's, it's, it's a really key issue these days. So yeah. I have found that the combination of these physical and, and philosophical ideas have helped me to challenge where I need to and step back when I need to. Right, when you need to and know when not to. Um, so before we go on to talk about a little bit more about Advaita Vedanta, um, I thought maybe we could chat about why you became a teacher. You mentioned um, when we were chatting be, before hitting the record button that you're passionate about education. And I thought we could talk a little bit more about that, maybe what inspired you to become a teacher. Yeah. Um, it, it was one of the routes you took when you finished art school, but I think by then I had had enough experience to know that of education myself, because I by then had an education in several different countries, that it was the key to better understanding between people. And it may sound really far-fetched, but it because we moved from culture to culture, because we then went when I finished primary school, my father got transferred again, and we came to Europe. So we lived in Geneva. 
and the, the shifts in cultures, the different types of Indian communities, the different types of other communities. Geneva was a very cosmopolitan place, but I came across much more conservative American political outlooks in that school than I had when I'd been living in New York. So all of these things, when you, if it's part of your growing up, I think I learned very early on that niceness doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be racist or sexist or all of those other things. There are other things. There's that critical ability to differentiate between different things, between meanings and, and finding meaning in different ways. Um, so, and, and I think I've given you examples of that before, but I don't know, should I, have I mentioned that before? When, when we lived in New York, um, it was a really, it was the 60s, you know, so it, late 60s, and, it, and there was a lot of important cultural shifts happening there. So, for yeah. example, busing had been introduced, which was taking kids from one neighborhood into another so that they would mix in schools. Uh, with And, yeah, oh, there were, there's so many I could go into endless detail. Well, because we lived in Jackson Heights, where, believe it or not, there were we were the only Indian family. Uh, but we were a UN family, so we were very welcomed. We were very, everything was fine. Okay. And yeah. believe it or not, there were hardly any Indians in New York in those days. That's very hard to believe now, but there weren't. Yeah. So that was all very fine. There was two lovely old women that lived next door to us. They were sisters, and they used to be very nice to us, you know, pat us on the head, and we would help them clean their snow and things like that. When uh, I had my eighth birthday party, my African-American friends came to my party and they complained to my father the next day and said, we don't want people like that in this neighborhood. So at a very young age, I was saying, and she's talking about eight-year-old children, okay? Yeah. And she's yeah. they're very nice old ladies. So at this very young age, it occurred to me that, you know, what is happening here? Because they're not, they haven't suddenly become monsters. No. But what they're saying is so very, very wrong. And I had a personal experience that people are very much the same. Yeah. So, yeah, how did I get there? Um, oh, passionate about education. Yes. And I guess somewhere in my head or later, I was able to analyze that I could come to that conclusion because we'd been in that school together. And yes. if I hadn't been, I only would have met the white American children. Yeah. So education has a huge role to play. And I think empowering people to speak up, empowering people to find what they're interested in. I've always found that really exciting. And teaching art to very young children, because I've taught all sorts of ages, is also very exciting because you really, you're finding out about them. You, you know, a child draws a scribble and, and will tell you that this is, you know, there are the swings and there's my mother and there's so-and-so and he's going to say it's all there. <laughs> so the concepts, well, all you're seeing is this, but the yeah. child artist is telling you, this is what, what reality is and this is what I've depicted. So everything that they're observing is coming out through that. Yeah. So yeah, I like to get to know people. Education's really good like that. Yeah, and like you say, supporting, supporting people to be able to think things through, to discuss different opinions um, and to be able to explore other people's perceptions and um, opinions as well. I think it's all so important. So that maybe quite nicely brings us into chatting about Advaita Vedanta 
Your course is around introducing the concept of self-knowledge according to the teachings contained within this thing or this approach called Advaita Vedanta. So I thought maybe we could start by briefly chatting about what Advaita Vedanta is, in case people haven't come across that term or or they've maybe seen it but haven't really um, understood what it is or what it's about. Um, well, Advaita means non-dualist, and Vedanta is one of the it's described as one of the six schools of Indian philosophy. So the non-dualist tradition uh, follows the ideas of uh, the ninth century uh, thinker Shankara, um, and it carries down the way I was introduced to it was through the the um, Vedanta centers, which were set up by Vivekananda in um, the nineteen. 20s, 30s, um, in, in America, that came to America at that okay. point. So we can touch on that in the course, but basically it's this, uh, it's an idea that Vedanta is really about getting to know the self, but that self isn't the self that you and I are looking at. You know, there's me in the camera and there's you in the camera and there's two of us talking and uh, we're addressing persons unknown. So, uh, but it isn't though that self, it's something beyond which is in all of us and in all of life, in all matter. And the idea is that once you recognize that beyond this little self, let's call it, there is this other that is connected with everyone else, uh, you are then able to not, not just disappear into spiritual realms, although that can happen, what it does is make you more effective at dealing with the everyday. And that's why it's so relevant and so interesting. That ironically, this dematerialization, if you like, this idea of who I am being made to disappear or being made to seem less important, let's say, makes it possible for me to be less emotionally bogged down when I make the decisions I need to make in the everyday. Does that make any sense? That makes a whole heap of sense because one of the, the things that I've always struggled a little bit with with the, the non-dualist thinking is that sense of disappearing and like you said, the non-materialism. But actually the way you described it there as it's almost like becoming less important relative to real. So it, it, it doesn't mean we just disappear we're still here and existing in this in this world in this realm but actually takes the focus away from us a little bit and and broadens that out yes actually and that's another really ironic thing you take the focus away from yourself and you become more effective you know yeah. within your own limitations and you actually make might get past those limitations and it helps deal with criticism. And that's why I said in my introduction that, you know, we worry about, about uh, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Is that one better? Uh, do I look fat? You know, all these things. Let's face it, we do worry about these things. Um, but when, when you start to think, actually, I'm in this room full of beings and actually we're all connected and this, we're just doing a thing. 
we're not doing it for the reward of being told we look great or we or that we are doing it so well necessarily. You want to do it correctly. You want to apply yourself seriously to a task, but there's more energy for that if you're not worrying about everything all the time. So recognizing that there is a connection between us that goes beyond the differences has so many, many applications. Yeah, I mean, it really does, because obviously that speaks a little bit to our kind of more modern um, society where comparison, we're confronted with comparison mm. all the time. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a really natural human thing to do. Um, but I think it becomes much more difficult to manage when everywhere you look, there's there's a comparison to be made. And, you know, when we look online, it's it's the best versions we're seeing. It's the edited versions. It's the you know, filtered versions. And, mm. and so anything that can give us some kind of framework and tools to help navigate that, I think is really valuable. It is, and I also found it um, very interesting that I was looking back at some of the sources I've been looking at, and, and one line really jumped out at me because of your question, how can we relate the, this philosophy to the people, the practitioners who might want to sign up or might be, yeah. um, might think it's not relevant, it's interesting, but maybe I don't have time because I'm busy yeah. doing my yeah. yoga, um, which is that... Um, Nikola Nanda, who I refer to in, in, in my in my research and in my in my course I'll be referring to, uh, says that actually the, the knowledge of Vedanta, which is knowledge of the self, is not actually of any practical use, or is not going to, or to this your spiritual development unless it is done as yoga. And that's really beautiful because. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. necessarily mean the asanas, but he does mean yoga as a as joined up thinking, yoga as body and mind working together, yoga as recognizing the oneness in between you and other people, and he also talks about it being a really good source of thinking about the democratic it it, it that there's a democratic principle behind it, because if everyone is essentially the same, then he's uh, that. One has to respect everyone else. You know, you treat others uh, as you would have them treat you, as in the Christian doctrine, but also there is no difference. So you're also harming yourself if you're harming others. Yeah. And that then makes this kind of framework and these teachings really relevant to, again, some of the issues that we're facing in our, our kind of current, current society in terms of. Um, you know, division as well and, and divisive opinion um, as well. Yeah, this actually distresses me a lot. The, the fact that so much of, um, because I've looked at cultural theory, it's part, partly what I was teaching. And I think a lot of very progressive ideas have been kind of usurped by people who actually want to use them to make people fight essentially and and outline so even um yeah i mean we won't go into that direction deeply but i think so what do you need how do you differentiate when somebody is telling you in order to be democratic you must do this and someone else is saying completely the opposite how do you discern yeah. between these two well vedanta has this term vivek 
which means discrimination. And it doesn't mean discrimination in the sense of being against someone, or, but the, being able to tell the difference between things, analyzing things, critically evaluating what is someone saying to me and what will be the impact of that thing. And I think if we instill in education this ability and in our conversations, this, this questioning of what's being said, it's welcome in the Vedantic tradition, in, in the, you know, I know that people teach all sorts of versions of it, and it should be welcome in all our, in all our traditions of speaking about anything really. And it, it seems really to be the only way that we can actually work our way through the quagmires that are being created for us. Yeah, and it really does span or, or speak to like any number of topics, doesn't it? It's like politics, race, gender, um, all of these issues that that we're we're having to face in our modern in our modern world. How is yoga taught? That's the other issue that's been discussed quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I've come to so many of your brilliant sessions at the MCY, and, and you know, it, <laughs> talking to Nadia uh, uh, was really interesting as well. And to be honest, I had not realized I read Nadia's book, and I had not realized just how bad things had got in in what's being called the yoga world. And although yeah. there's a lot of there are a lot of positives about yes. And I think I think that's really important that in some of the 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 chat the the tendency is to to be very negative and to use a cliche throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think um, Nadia Goini's book, The Yoga Manifesto, uh, just for anyone who's listening that hasn't read it or didn't hear our chat, it kind of lifts the lid a little bit on some of the the practices within the business of yoga that aren't aligned with the teachings and practices um, of yoga and again I think that's a really another another really challenging point where these teachings and this tradition and this way of thinking has butted up against um, what I think is called western capitalism I'm not that opponent so um, again don't want to get too political but because again, my understanding is that that the concepts are in capitalism, neither good nor bad. It's how they're being used, and and what the yeah. Are, I, mean, I think yeah, that's I suppose yeah. In in some ways, that's arguable, but it's true. It's how you use anything. It's having that critical faculty yeah. to say yeah. to look at the next thing that's going to happen if you do this, if you say this, if you mm. enact this policy, yeah. uh, or where you deliver. But and also, I think with teaching. You can go on a real power trip with teaching at any level, you know. And I think yeah. certainly where people start to look up to you. And I always remember my father saying again in the New York days, because he, he was quite knowledgeable about and, and a lot of things. And um, so, especially in those days, you know, the Beatles had gone to to Rishikesh, and there was a buzz about Indian ideas. Yeah. And I remember him saying that. Um, the, you know, the thing is about Hindu ideas, Vedantic ideas, is that they make so much practical sense. They are so applicable to modern day life that if you are able to explain them at all, 
you can easily become a guru. You know, <laughs> why I would never teach. You know? So people used to come and ask him things, and he would explain and we'd have <laughs> conversations, but he would never set himself up as a teacher, which is why I feel like you know really nervous about offering this course in a sense. But at the same time, in the middle of all the confusion, I feel like I've got this gem that was given to me. You know, through mm -hmm. no act of mine I've just I've had a lot explained to me throughout my life and it, this is a time where critical thinking is so crucial and I think maybe there's something to offer and I'm not setting myself up this <laughs> just to be <laughs> just to be really clear <laughs> yes what I'm saying is that in this course we will be doing a collective inquiry so I will share some facts that I know uh, and things that I've read and I will share some doubts that I have and then what we'll be doing is together trying to bring those concepts into our, our context so that we have little workshops in which we say, okay, well, how would that apply to this situation? Or can one actually identify with anyone else at all? Can I really, how can I possibly use this philosophy to deal with that person whom I do not agree with at all? You know, I just can't, I can't get past the fact that I'm hating everything that they're saying. So is there a way to get there? Is there a method of doing that? And um, I've tried various things over the years, which can be quite fun as well, but, but a step by step. And I think this is the idea that I'm saying, I've been brought up with these ideas. I'm not saying I'm successfully applying them all the time. I'm trying and it's a, it's a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. um, but sharing that you know the satsang of being together and working it out together can can be very rewarding in itself and that's that's the hope i think um for for the course and i i'm also very interested in hearing i was very surprised by your question what how can we make it more relevant to yoga practitioners because to me they've always been the same um but i also think on the other hand, because they're not the same to everyone, I'm really interested in that perspective. Mm -hmm. How does one become so good at asanas and experience the, the benefits of that and then be so skeptical about other aspects? It's it's an interesting kind of thing to yeah. And I think that's, the, that's one of the lovely things about the way you've outlined the course as well, is not only is it very practical, but everyone can bring their own experience to the conversation Absolutely. as well and it, and it is very much a discussion rather than like say you you setting yourself up there at the front of class on yes. a platform yeah there was a much more um, collaborative effort a group learning effort as well so I'm really excited about having you Ranjana I think that is a Thank lovely you. place to wrap this up so thank you very much for taking the time to chat and uh, if not before i look forward to seeing you in september tuesday evening yes. okay thank I you so much have a wee papa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's great All right thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our chat. If you've got any questions, you can email me or find us on social media. I'll see you here next time.